You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our passage today is two parts or paragraphs, you could say, from Luke chapter 9. Uh, so we've s- sort of skipped over several verses, 30 verses to be precise, several different paragraphs. Um, and I just want to point out that in between these uh, two sections that aren't broken up in the bulletin, but if you have a Bible, you can see it more clearly. Uh, verse 51, before that, Jesus is traveling around in the region of Galilee. And then in verse 51, we learn when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so now, uh, before we get to verse 57, we see that Jesus is changing what he's doing, no longer traveling around Galilee with his ministry there, but heading to Jerusalem to die. Um, And so that's important to understand what's going on, the context of these uh, two different uh, sections. They're related, though, because the the second section really illustrates what Jesus is talking about in the, the first section. One other thing I'll just, I just want to get out of the way before I sort of dive in is that verse 27 says, um, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Uh, that can be a little bit confusing. And it's, uh, if you read commentaries, it's not clear what precisely Jesus uh, meant several different ideas. One might be that right here in chapter nine, the very next verses, we see the, the Mount of Transfiguration where uh, Jesus goes with Peter, James, and John, and they do have a a taste of the kingdom of God and see Moses and Elijah there and hear the Father's voice. Uh, So it could be that that is what he's referring to there in verse 27. Now that I've said all that, let me talk about that first part. The uh, verses that are verse 23 through 27 uh, is really a paradox of losing life here and now. The paradox of the Christian, the follower of Jesus, the disciple of Jesus Christ, needing to lose life here and now in order to gain eternal or real life. Um, The losing of sacrificing this life that we can see and experience, taste, touch, hear, smell, and whatnot uh, for the promises of the real eternal life that are to come. And then the second part, which starts at verse 57, like I said, are three encounters that Jesus has with three different men that demonstrate what bearing one's cross might actually look like. And that's the, the, the uh, phrase that Jesus uses for that self-sacrifice is to, to bear one's cross if one wants to, to follow him. And so we see these three encounters. The first guy says uh, to Jesus as he's going along his way to Jerusalem, this man says to him, I will follow you. Uh, and Jesus basically says, I don't think you understand, I'm homeless. Uh, you know, foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so following me means uh, you're going to be homeless too. There, your life will be uncertain. You're not going to know where you're uh, going to spend the night each night as we head uh, toward uh, Jerusalem. The second man he encounters, instead of him calling out to Jesus, the difference here is that Jesus calls out to him. And Jesus is the one that says, follow me. And the man responds that that he will, but let me first bury my father. And Jesus' response to that is, let the dead bury their own dead, which can seem kind of harsh at first blush. But it's helpful to know that this man's father probably wasn't actually dead. Uh, There wasn't a corpse waiting to be buried. Uh, That most likely the man's father was older, 
uh, he would die eventually, but we don't know when. It might be months, might be years. Uh, and so for him to say, let me first bury my father, means that he's not ready to come. And Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, remember, uh, to die. There isn't time for that. And his response not only is to let the dead bury their own dead, but for you to proclaim the, the kingdom of God. The third, again, like the first, calls out to Jesus and says, I will follow you. But he also adds, like the second man, but first let me say goodbye to my family. Uh, he has uh, some familial and cultural ties that he thinks he needs to, to tend to before coming to Jesus. And then Jesus responds, no one who puts his hand to the plow and, and looks back is fit for the kingdom. If you don't understand the agricultural metaphor, a plow is used to till up the ground in order to sow uh, seeds in a large uh, farm. And if you have your hand on the plow, if you're doing it manually and not with a big uh, machine and you look back, what's going to happen? Like when you drive a car and you sort of turn your head, you know, the steering wheel can sometimes go where you're looking. And so what Jesus is saying is if you do that, your, your rows that you're tilling are going to be crooked. They're not going to be straight. If you go, if you look back, look back metaphorically at the life that you're abandoning, uh, but instead to keep your eye, uh, on Jesus and uh, the promises of his kingdom. You can imagine he's, he might have in mind Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife who looked back to Sodom, to her destruction. Well, what do we learn from these uh, two passages from Luke chapter 9? Well, Jesus, first of all, was the ultimate man who took up his cross that, you know, he's asking us to take up our cross and follow him, but we know that he, before us, took up his own cross, submitting himself to execution in obedience to his father's will. And so he's saying that following him is at least figuratively like what he did for us. In the same way that in obeying his father's will, uh, he subjected himself to this cross-bearing, so too his followers— uh, in obedience to Christ's will, we'll take up our own crosses. And I say figuratively because taking up one's cross daily doesn't always mean being executed. I mean, you here in the South, probably for your faith, are not going to be killed, although it could happen. There might be a day coming. In other parts of the world, that can literally happen. Uh, and so even if we don't experience uh, death as a part of our bearing our cross, Jesus is still promising persecution to come no matter where we live in the world. This world is at enmity with God's will. And so no no matter where you live, you're going to experience some level of uh, resistance and persecution. And in part, this might be an inward struggle that we all face. Our own inward struggle to, to, to look back at the things that we are abandoning and longing, or not want to give certain things up, like these three different characters? Do we love the things of this world more than God and his kingdom? Because in order to gain real life in eternity, we must abandon any hope or security or treasures that we have in this life, any hope in them or grasping onto them, clinging to them. As he says, whoever would save his life that is the, this life here and, here and now, whoever would save that life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That is to say, they will 
gain eternal life with the Father, with him. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man, that is Jesus, uh, be ashamed when he comes in his glory, when he returns again to judge the whole world, both living and the dead. Well, we're meant to take seriously what Jesus is saying here, that there is indeed a cost to following him. But I can tell you from personal experience and also from speaking with other older, wiser, more mature Christians and other people who have a lot more experience than I do, so don't take my word for it. But when we take up that cross and follow him, although it might seem sort of drab and full of sacrifice, there's also a blessing. There's no better life indeed to live, even if we face death for it. Even if it entails sacrifice, persecution, and spiritual attack, that is still the better life to live, is that life of cross-bearing. And then we have the uh, three encounters in verses 57 through 62. What do they teach us? Jesus, as he said, was homeless as he's making his way to Jerusalem. To follow him, therefore, means a, a daily uncertainty. There's a, a lack of earthly security in following him. I mean, the true follower of Jesus ought to pray every morning, Lord, I don't know what you're sending my way. You know, I don't know what's going to happen today. I, I have my calendar, but you have your own agenda. Let me be receptive uh, to your plans uh, for me, for the people that I will encounter I, I don't actually know what entirely is ahead. I have my plans, you know, my five-year plan. I have my 401k that I'm trying to put together. But God might have his own plans. And so following Jesus is, has some level of uncertainty, no matter how well we try to plan our days and years and the rest of our life. With the second encounter, we learn that Jesus asks us to follow him now, right now, today. As the author of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Like uh, Peter and Andrew and the sons of Zebedee, remember when Jesus says, follow me, they literally drop their nets and leave their life behind to follow him. In the same way, when we hear his voice, we're uh, being asked to, to, to uh, abandon life and follow him and where he will take us. And remember that that life is the greater blessing. Finally, with the third encounter, Jesus instructs us to maintain a daily walk with him, to have a life of perseverance, keeping our eyes, our attention, utterly focused on him and what he has promised for us to come ahead. If you're plowing a field and look back, your tilled rows are going to be crooked. So follow him is to keep looking forward at him and to his eternal promises. But most of us desire security in this life alone. That's usually what captures a lot of our attention. Most of or all of our attention is desire for security in this life alone. Or we feel we have affairs to get in order before following Jesus. Or we follow while still looking in the rearview mirror at what we've left behind, the things that we've enjoyed, the relationships uh, that probably weren't good for us, and yet uh, we needed to abandon them. So what does this mean for us? 
So what does all of this, these passages from Luke chapter 9 mean for us? First of all, we should take seriously what Jesus is saying, to take him at his word. Elsewhere in Luke's gospel, Jesus explains, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, in a church like the Advent, where we have a a very good allergy to legalism, we can also fall into a trap of explaining away anything that Jesus asks of us or commands us as impossible or or legalistic. I want to warn us against this trap of, of going down that route. It's good to have a healthy allergy against legalism of adding to, to God's law, but Jesus is telling us to do something. We ought to take him at his word for it. We must, first of all, have a simple and childlike obedience to what Jesus is telling us to do here. If we love him, uh, we will follow him and what he asks of us. And here he tells us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, to lose this life for the sake of the next, not to be ashamed of him, to follow him, not to let family affairs or cultural customs get in the way of any of this, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to maintain our walk with him every day. The three men in this passage are therefore examples of people not to follow. Rather, Jesus is the the true example of, of who to follow in the story. Because remember, Jesus denied himself of his divinity and took up his cross and lost his earthly life for our sake and was not ashamed of his father. He followed his father's will in a childlike obedience and he did not let earthly uh, family affairs or Jewish cultural customs get in the way of any of this. And he maintained his walk with his father every single day. And he did all of it for us. He did it for you. There's a great hymn called Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Wretched that has one line in particular that I love that says this. If you tarry till you're better, you will never feel your need of him. If you tarry, T-A-R-R-Y, till you're better, you will never feel your need of him. Terry is sort of an old school word that basically means delay. If you delay till you are better, until you are better, you will never feel your need of Jesus. So many of us tarry when it comes to Jesus for a whole variety of reasons. Well, I invite you to, to tarry no longer, to no longer delay if that's something that you're up to. Similar to this uh, great hymn, Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Wretched, back in the early church, there was a guy named St. Augustine of Hippo. He was a bishop, and he wrote a prayer to God that said this, Give me chastity and countenance, but not yet. I always think that's funny. Give, he, he says to God in a prayer that he wrote down, Give me, God, chastity and countenance, but not yet. <laughs> Well, so many of us actually desire to follow Jesus as he describes and yet say not yet about some things in our own hearts. I invite you to stop saying not yet and to instead uh, let go and trust the promises of Jesus for you. So let me ask you a question. What prevents you personally from taking up your cross daily 
and following him, following Jesus? Could it be that you're an admirer of Jesus like these three men, but not really following him as king because you have not counted the cost of abandoning this life for the real life? When we do this, when we do the hard thing of of bearing our crosses, we also have those promises. When we bear our crosses daily, we still have the promises that Jesus gives us right here in this passage. That whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will save it. And Jesus will be unashamed of you when he returns in glory. And no matter what life throws at us, when we take up our crosses, we will be blessed by the Father's love for us. <clears throat> when uh, About 12 or 13 years ago, pretty shortly after I became a Christian, a, a follower of Jesus, I, I don't really know how it happened, but I, I was allowed to work in uh, ministry. I got a job in campus ministry at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. And if you know anything about Georgetown, it's a Roman Catholic institution run by the Jesuits, which are an order of uh, priests. Um, Funny enough, being Reformation Sunday, they were some of the the biggest opponents to the Reformation. But they've changed a lot in 500 years. Now they're a bunch of liberals. But here I am at Georgetown University at this Roman Catholic school working in ministry because about 40% of their student body is actually not Catholic. Uh, most of them are Protestant. So they allow a Protestant chaplaincy in some other campus ministries like InterVarsity, Campus Crusade, Chi Alpha, and all those, and some churches do ministry on campus. Well, the, uh, so that's what I was working for, but we, we still worked with the Jesuits. The guy who ran the campus ministry department, his name was Father Godfrey, and he was the sweetest gentlest, nicest, most Christ-like, unangry, patient person I'd ever met. I really uh, loved being in his presence, spending time with him. Uh, And I asked him one day, Father Godfrey, what is your secret? You know, I told him that. I said, you know, you're the most Christ-like person I've ever met. And he said, well, Matt, every morning, the first thing in the morning, I pray to God that uh, I might take up my cross and die to myself and allow Jesus to be resurrected in my life. And I thought, gosh, I mean, he was dead serious. I need to start praying that prayer every single day. And maybe by the time I'm in my 60s, like he was, I would be such an unangry, patient, uh, God-fearing person. Well, I invite all of us to, to meditate on this passage and what we've learned today, what we've read for just a moment. We don't normally do this. I want to just have a, it'll be brief. I want to have a brief period of silence to invite you by yourself to just talk to God about what we've read today, about what we've learned. What will you do about what you're hearing? So just take a a little bit to pray by yourself and I will close us uh, for all of us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I admit to not always bearing my cross. And would you help me every day to die to myself, to be crucified to myself, to take up my cross every day, and to have your son resurrected in my life. Prevent me, Lord, from uh, looking back to keep my hand on the plow 
and look forward to your son, Jesus Christ, and to his promises for me. I pray all these things in his name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.